welcome to Backboard Banter on the board with your hosts, Matt Middleton and Kevin Rayner, where the banter's as ferocious as that Croatia performance against Canada, man. Oh, big sad, eh? You know, we came out swinging to this World Cup. Fortunately, we made some comments and Croatia decided that they didn't like those comments and a 4-1 loss is the result, sadly. Hey, man, we got the first goal off the off the hop, you know, like a minute in. It was beautiful, beautiful header, but... Yeah, um, I, I don't remember which Croatian player said it, but uh, yeah, we really saw who effed who up. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, that Ugh. Davies goal was gorgeous. It was exactly what we wanted. And, you know, I was out skiing, so I didn't get to watch the match. But, you know, Matt was telling me that the boys just kind of parked the bus after that. You know, they got that goal. They thought that they were on top. They were going to belong. And the score just kept going the other way. Yeah, I, I definitely saw them just take their foot off the gas. They thought, you know, we'd be... You know, we didn't beat Belgium, but we beat them in terms of play. Um, we deserve to be here. We've already got the one nothing lead. We're probably going to win 2 nothing, 3 nothing, And that's just not the case, especially when, you know, you're at a, the biggest tournament in the world, the biggest sporting event in the world, and every country wants it. Every team wants it. So you have to come out hungry. And we just didn't play hungry for the rest of the game after that. So right? real I sad. Mean- my buddy Cole was like, oh, it's going to be a high-scoring game after that first goal went in two minutes in. And I was like, yeah, hopefully, but not the hope that I was looking for with 4-1, that's for sure. But, you know, we were out. We knew we were out after that, and we went into the Morocco game yesterday, you know, with, with a chip on our shoulder, hoping to at least, you know, get a point, do something for the boys. And they came close, you know, a 2-1 loss, right? Uh, Ada, I can't pronounce his name, had a great cross for that own goal to start. And man, I really thought that Hutchinson header in like the 80th or 67th minute was going in and it was going to be beautiful for the guy. But, you know, it just didn't happen. And we took another L, sadly. It is what it is, man. I'm good to move on from the World Cup. Uh, let's, you know, return to the takes. Uh, you may have been bringing the curse to the Kings. You know, you said they're going to finish above a 500 record. They're going to make the playoffs. They were one and two since you made that prediction. Not the best start. I mean, it's the Kings, right? Most people are expecting an 0-3 week per usual in the past, so it's positives a little bit. But yeah, I mean, hopefully we can see them continue this season's trend, which is being positive and not continuing that. We're expecting losses that we've seen in the past 15 years from this team. Hey, man, I think, honestly, they're going to break that streak, and there's going to be a team that has players that have actually played against the Sacramento Kings come playoff time this year. I think they're going to do it. I r- light the beam, man. Just light the beam. They're there. Right? Yeah, we, we're getting excited for Sacramento, and they've looked legit, right? Like, it's a roller coaster of a season. That's how it is. But also with a team like this that has been so irrelevant and is now back to somewhat relevancy you're gonna have a roller coaster ride you're gonna have your ups and downs in the season and when you think about the table and the way that you know everyone kind of stands all it takes is one good win streak to be back into like the top six in either conference really so as long as they stay around they'll be okay hey man i mean look at those lakers even they're you know somewhat back into contention um so and anything's possible this year um that's what we love and you know what man my take didn't pan out but a 2-1 week for the raptors instead of an 0-3 week is music to my ears anytime we talk about it even when i'm predicting the opposite so hey i'll take it every day of the week one of these days the curve is the curse is going to just wake up to your reverse tactics and it's going to slap you across the face one of these days but hey until that happens we'll take the positivity and 
it was a pretty positive week for the Raptors. You know, it started off with that Mavericks game where OG went absolutely toe-to-toe with Doncic, the current MVP frontrunner. I don't care what anybody says. Like, it was pretty awesome to see OG have one of those nights. And, I mean, Nurse was talking him up after. OG seemed pretty happy. It was what we needed as a team to start the week. Dude, it was unbelievable how good OG Ananobi was in that game. He locked up Luka, the MVP Doncic, man. I mean, yes, Luka, I think, was still efficient, like 8 of 15, but holding him to to only 15 shot attempts is crazy, right? Like, to only have him feel comfortable enough to attempt that many just shows you how smothering OG was all night. He outproduced him 26-9-2 and to 24-7-9. Like, it was just a masterclass by my boy OG. Um, Fred Van Vliet and, uh, you know, Chris Boucher kicking it in, you know, to make sure that we round out there. You know, we have the three players. And we did that, man, without... Achua without Porter Jr., without Siakam, without Scotty, without Benton, like shorthanded, and we still took it to the Mavs. Well, Gotta love that man. Gotta and this, love it. This almost is a is a problem for the Mavs more than it is a solution for any other team. Because like you look at what the Detroit Pistons did without Cade last night, they beat Luca and the Mavs, and they did it by making sure that Luca was constantly doubled. If you if anyone who's paying attention to the NBA right now, you know how you beat the Mavericks? You get the ball out of Luka Doncic's hand. You make anybody else do it. And the fact that he's still playing at the level that he is and putting up the number that he's doing when every single night the teams want to take him down, it's amazing. Well, like this is kind of what annoys me about the MVP conversation is that a lot of people are going to be like, his team isn't high enough in the standings. They don't win enough. Hey, they're empty stats. They're not contributing to winning basketball. He is their sole opportunity to win games in the NBA. It is Luca has to put on a magical performance or bust, man. I like Christian Wood. I like Spencer Dinwiddie. We've been talking them up a lot on this show and just trying to kind of push them. But at the end of the day, they're probably, what, the fourth or fifth best option on a true championship caliber team. So they're still missing option two and option three. Like, it is just a sad state of affairs in in Dallas right now. And it kind of reminds me of the whole Dirk Nowitzki tenure. You know, they had a generational talent for 20 plus years and could just never put the pieces around him. They only did it once. Um, is Luca going to have a similar career? And that just makes me so sad, man, because this guy's too special to have that kind of career. Right, and, like, will the question be, is Luca going to take less money so the Mavs can give Chandler Parsons more money? Like, the question comes down to what they Chandler do. Parsons? That's what, that's what they did, man! Dirk took a, t- took a pay cut and they gave the money to Chandler Parsons. I remember, so, yeah. Exactly. When he was right? decent. <laughs> when he was decent, yeah. So the Mavs are in that conversation of, well, we have to figure it out, or maybe Luca's just going to leave. Right? He's only got a couple years, and then he has to look at this team and really make a decision. Yes, loyalty is a big deal in the NBA. Yes, it's important to be legit. And who doesn't want to be you know, a franchise icon you know, for, for an organization? Understandable. But also, like this is the modern NBA. It's a cutthroat game. It's all about making sure that you can win. And when you're a talent like Luka, who has seen guys like Kevin Durant, who's seen guys like LeBron, who's seen Dirk himself go through the stories that they go through... I mean, does he want to be 
another Dirk? Does he want to be another Dwight Powell? Does he want to be another Dwight Howard? Like, there's so many names with different like stories that. and careers that you can have options. But yeah, Dwight Powell was a, was a poor name to pull up. But like, this Real is the bit. story of Luca right now. They have more to like Allen Iverson, you know? There you go. He, like, right? He's gonna carry that team. He's gonna be box office. He's gonna be an absolute show. And yet, they never put enough around him to get the show into the actual finals. Um, and it's sad, man. Because like again, like I mentioned, we had all those players out. But because we have Fred Van Vliet and Chris Boucher, who Chris Boucher is probably what, like our seventh best player, right? Just because we had those three guys going, we were able to beat them. I think, you know, he got 11, five and three from Maxi Kleba, 10 and six from Christian Wood, 15 points from Spencer Dinwiddie, like not major contributions from anybody out there. And it's just tough, man. It's, it's tough to see because... I'm a huge Luca guy, man. I think Luca's probably yeah. the best talent the NBA's ever seen. Like pure, just like basketball ability is off the charts, man. Maybe not athletic ability. Like obviously, John Morant, LeBron, Michael Jordan have all been better athletes, but just you know, getting to his shot, playing at his own pace, setting guys up. The guy is just you know mythical. How gifted he is, right? The way it all just comes together and. You know, looking at this game specifically, it's the offensive rebounds for me that, that really was the turning back. 17 to 4, 25 points to 5 on the second chance, you know. That had 3, OG had 4, Boucher had 5 offensive boards. That is what we like to see, right? The Raptors aren't the best 3-point shooting team. We've proven that we kind of suck at shooting every once in a while. But you know what is good? When we can get the rebounds on those terrible shots. So... A little bit of shining moment in this awful roughness, maybe? Dude, we're, like, historically bad in half-court offense and, like, historically bad at shooting. Um, we're one of the, I think, the best teams in NBA history at generating more shot attempts than our opponent. Like, yeah. I think our differential is the biggest differential in NBA history. Um, I think we generate, like, I think an average of 10 or 12 more shot attempts per game yeah. than the opponent. And it's because it's necessary. And this is another example of that, right? Like, we outshot them by 15. It was 88 to 73 in terms of shot attempts. And yet we only <laughs> scored three more baskets, man, and only beat them by five points. So, I mean, like, as as good as it is to out sh outscore guys and outpace teams, um, when you look at historical evidence of the NBA... I think the other teams that are around us are like historically bad teams, like teams that like couldn't score and therefore needed to generate more opportunities. And that's kind of what we're, what we're looking at. But at least we win games, man. Like, you know, that, that's a good, good thing. Well, this is also funny because it makes me think back to the times where you were constantly like, stop taking threes, just cut to the basket. A two is better than zero points. And I'm like, especially when we're getting 10 more baskets a night, that's 20 points if we put them all in on dunks, that's for sure. I think, like, that's the most frustrating part about watching the Raptors, is that we do get all those attempts, but instead of using the 15 attempts on all two-pointers and hitting half of them, we use them on all three-pointers and hit one. Like, it's just brutal. And, like, yeah, I get it. Three is better than two, but three points on one of 15 is not as good as 14 points on seven of 15. Like, it's just... Simple math, guys. Simple math. Uh, it's the story of it It's the story of Raptors fans, right? That's why the Cavaliers game on Monday was a nice little refresher. You know, Siakam back oh. from his 10-game absence. We get an injection in the arm, basically, for our team. We end up being 8-2 and two at home now after that. Pretty impressive from the boys. And for Siakam to return 
18 points, 11 rebounds, 5 assists, only took 14 shots, but shot, you know, 7 of them in. Pretty great for a team that probably needed it. I think this is really underscoring how Siakam has taken the next step in his, you know, NBA star evolution, is that he has impacts on every single game he plays in without necessarily needing to score the ball or to be the guy who's who's facilitating and, and rebounding and doing everything that he can you know really impact the game just in like smaller ways and consistently like I felt like he had a massive impact throughout that entire game but when you look at the stat sheet like you said 18 points 11 rebounds five assists like we've seen 30-point triple-doubles from this man. Like, those aren't, you know, his most dominant games, but you still felt like he was super, super effective. Mm -hmm. Whereas in previous years, when he had a stat line like that, I mean, it's a a decent stat line, but it felt like he was taking away from the rest of the team's offense and ability in order to get there. Whereas now he just does it so seamlessly, and it is... It is so welcomed, man. He's he's really evolved, and and it's a beautiful sight. It's the comfort level as well, right? You know, being able to have every player around him just be happier, be more comfortable, knowing that Siakam's going to be out there doing what he's doing. I mean, you look at the Scotty Barnes post-game interview after that. He's so pumped for Siakam to be back, talking, praising him up, the crazy options that he has with his spin moves and his shots. And it's like, yeah, and that's why Pascal has gotten into that MVP conversation, why he's gotten into that superstar conversation. He's not there. We need to preface this. In the same way that OG is not a top 20 player in the NBA, the guys are great. They're good. But there's just this level, this this echelon that's true superstars get put on. And, you know, Siakam is, is sniffing his way towards it. OG is still a little bit further back, that's for sure. I mean, OG is definitely further back. But during that stint without Siakam, man, he was really showing oh, yeah. why he's considered one of these top tier players why he's always pushing there his defense i mean has always been elite since he was a rookie but this year it's it's really being recognized as being one of the best defenders in the nba um bar none right and then when he gets to have games where he drops 30 points or when he goes toe-to-toe with a luka Doncic, it really brings that national spotlight and you know the the united states spotlight onto him and that's really tough to do especially up here in canada mm-hmm. and with siakam we really have just a player in front of him too dominant for him to kind of overstep and i think that's really like the major issue that i see with our team is that we have too many mouths to feed um that we're too talented that we need guys to fit into more like actually defined roles as opposed to just having an immense amount of talent and playing freely out there i you know i like that style of basketball but i think there's something to be said about actually having a niche and then you know going to it um austin reeves for the Lakers, man, he is not the most talented player in the NBA. Yeah. He probably on, you know, 90% of the teams in this league can't actually crack the lineup. But with the Lakers, he actually looks pretty good. He's dropping 20 points here and there. It's because they're utilizing him for what his talents provide. And I think that the Raptors need to start focusing on that because we have a lot of versatile unlimited talented players you know we've got siakam og scotty achua Otto, like thad we need defined shooters defined players but 
that's just my opinion. Hey, and man. my favorite part is like I'm about to segue here, and you listed off a lot of players, and you didn't talk about Chris Boucher. And you think about the turn that Chris Boucher made at the All-Star break last season, realizing, you know what? I'm 28, 29. Boucher's old. Like, nobody really yeah, thinks yeah, it, yeah. but he's relatively old. He had that moment where he was like, I'm going to be the role player that I know I can be. And, you know, the elevation in his game, the improvements, the positive points that we saw through the roof. So you can look internally to the Raptors themselves at players figuring out. You know, you look at Gary, right? And, and Gary and his situation of needing to play for a bag, needing to play for a situation, being on the bench, not being on the bench, right? Like, Gary's not just going to accept that, right? He's That's the type of player he is. He's going to be hunting for his shots, you know? I see his post-game interview after dropping 35 points against the Pels, and he's just like, I do whatever I'm told to do. Yep, if that's how it's supposed to be. And I'm like, he looks a little bit more checked out now. He's not looking as, you know amped and as excited as he did a year ago to be part of a team and to be appreciated by a team and you know that that kind of worries me a little bit internally yeah i think again it goes back to like the too many mouths to feed man Mm -hmm. um and at the end of the day it's it's hard for these guys to take a step back he was the only guy who brought energy i mean him and pascal (laughs) against the pelicans we were quite atrocious and i think that is honestly the best version of Gary Trent Jr. in the NBA. I think that is like what he's meant to do is to be a microwave scorer off the bench. I think he could be, you know, Jamal Crawford won like what, like five, six man of the year awards was, you know, a microwave scorer off the bench. Everybody knew that he had immense talent and handles and could score the ball with some of the best players in the NBA. His, his package, his bag was as deep as some of the best players in the NBA. Gary Trent is like that. His bag is that deep, but I mm-hmm. think that the other limitations around his game lead him to more of a Jamal Crawford type role. And if he could accept that, if he could come off the bench and score, you know, 20, 25 points a game off the bench on a consistent basis, where like, again, it, it was the perfect Trent game, 35, one and one, right? Like that is who he is. If he could average 25, two and two for this team off the bench, I think we would be in a much better situation anyways. I'm with you. Like, I I totally agree. We've been talking all year long about Gary off the bench being a flamethrower, lining up second units, right? But it's the mental game, right? We have to always remember that these are human beings who are constantly thinking about it. And for so long in the NBA, for the majority of players, if you're not a starter you're not a good player. That's what a lot of people will think, right? That's the mentality that comes out. If you're not starting, you're not one of the best five players on your team. You're not an impactful player. But the thing is, is it's the modern NBA. There's so many ways to be important. Look at the Raptors bench mob, how important that was. That unit of of pieces that did so much for our squad and barely ever saw the starting lineup, right? Like you have to find your role, your piece for a team. And the Raptors have proved that they're a great organization at making sure the players understand their role and fitting in to create success. And Gary is in this weird situation where, like, if we can't get that to break through his mindset, it's looking more and more likely like he's going to be the trade asset, you know, later this year. Which is 
you know, it's it's fine if he's the trade asset, especially if he keeps playing like this, man. Because, you know, since Nick Nurse called him out for his defensive yeah. intensity, he <laughs> has been absolutely fire. I mean, the first 14 games of the season, he's had 19 steals through that those first 14 games. He had four multi, multi-steal games. And you know what's crazy is that through his 18 games this season, he hasn't had a single game without a steal. So, like, we're wow. all talking about his deflections are down, his defensive impact is down. He's still literally getting a steal. He hasn't had a game without a steal. But in his last four, this man has been absolute fire. He's had, you know, a four steal game, two three steal games, and a single steal. He's had 11 steals in that span to bring his 30 steals in 18 games, you know, getting close to that two steals a game like OG Ananobi, um, who leads the league. I'm pretty sure Gary Trent's in the top 15 in this league, which is wild that we talk about him not having the defensive impact that he did last year. Um, I think, is it a case of like Raptors fans just really having this like overhype for our players? Because I think with all of our guys, it's kind of happened. With Gary Trent, you know, he's not had the season that we've wanted him to have. With Precious Achua, before he got hurt, everyone was kind of disappointed in what he was doing, and he wasn't knocking down threes. And we were like, where's the after All-Star break Achua? And Scotty Barnes even as well, or or OG and Obi for the last four years, right? Like, we want these guys to be superstars. We expect them to be superstars. And when they're not, we get on them immediately as Raptors fans. For, for as good as the 2019 championship did for our organization, it might have done bad things for our fan base because the expectation has gone through the roof. The everyday fan who usually doesn't care about basketball is constantly showing up in threads going, how come Siakam has been trashed this season? Meanwhile, they have no idea that he's missed 10 games, right? Like, there's the difference in the true fan base, you know, the people like us who actually care who are constantly paying attention and the basketball fans who are just like, we want a championship. We should be good. Her dirt. What's going on? Like, I swear I'm seeing this left and right, my guy. Left and right. Hey, man. It's like uh, when you get, um, you know, people in the United States reaching out to you about like, hey, what's going on with the Siakam and those Raptors? Again, Siakam missed 10 games. It, It's not on him, bro. <laughs> like, maybe you'd know that if you watched the game. <laughs> but hey. It's, it's just the classic situation of the Raptors being outside of the spotlight, outside of the main media. Nobody really pays attention to us until they have to, right? Like, this is why we want OG to keep doing what he is doing so that he can be in the spotlight. So when the defensive player of the year conversations come around, people aren't just pulling up the steals and being like, oh, OG's there, cool, and then moving past it, right? Like, we want people to be paying attention and understanding what our team can do. And, you know, you make these comments about how the Cavs are considered a contender. They're on top of the league. Meanwhile, the Raptors are muddling. I'm sorry, we've taken them to town twice now. So, who knows, really? Absolutely, man. In the first game of the season and in the, that last game, um, you know, we've been able to take it to Cleveland. I think that, you know, the injury bug's gotten to us. We talked about it last week. And then there's been that disappointment from Scotty. Um Again, I think Scotty's been hurt all season. I don't think he's played a healthy game this year. I think he's fighting through injury, which makes sense that he wants to be out there. But nobody gives you credit for being out there injured. If you're going to be out there, you're out there, right? And so last year, he averaged 15, 7.5, 3.5. This year, he's averaging 14, 6, and 5. Um, his shooting is down from 520 to 430. His three points up, that's good. but like. He just doesn't seem to be 
that energy guy that he was last year. And I think that goes back to the fact that, you know, he's probably injured. He probably doesn't have the ability to get up there like he does or like he used to. And do you think we should just, you know, give him a week off, you know, let him come back? Because he had that great game against Atlanta, 28-11-9, hurt for two games, and then has been, you know, pretty poor the last two games to the point where, like, he didn't even play most of that second half against mm-hmm. New Orleans. Like, Nick just sat him. It's so The Scotty situation is tough. It's interesting, right? Because all you're going to hear left and right, left and right, is say it's sophomore slump season. It's happening, you know, blah, blah, blah. Happens to everybody. Look at Jaw. You know, think about Jaw's second year and the change that happens, right? This is what it takes to be in the NBA. You have to learn, right? Think about how Jabari Smith has been struggling. Struggling. And you and I both know that he's going to be fine. He's going to be great in this NBA. There's always going to be hurdles that players face. And if Siakam is back now and Scotty is actually dealing with an injury and the injury bug is bothering him and not making him play at his potential, Scotty, man, relax. Go hang out. Go stream. Play 2K. You know, we love it. It's totally fine. Like, get yourself healthy. It's yeah. great. Look, I understand the importance of wanting to play every game to be a part of the team to matter. But if you're going to have a performance like that because your body is limiting you, and then you're going to hear, you know, the pundits online, the people online thrown at you. Scotty's going to have his own mental of just like, ah, oh, man, I played like I played like garbage that game. Like, that's not positive. We don't want that. So go get healthy. Feel better. Come back when you're good, man. And he's not imposing himself like he did last year, man. Like, last year he was so physical as a rookie. And this year he's bigger yet isn't as imposing. He's not as aggressive on the glass. He's not as aggressive taking it to the rack. Um, I think he's trying to play a little bit more of a finesse game to show everyone, you know, the development that he made over the summer, which he needs to, I think Nick is trying to get him out of, right? Like, Nick is really trying to get him to, to do what he did last year, man. You know, be a slasher, be a cutter, take it to the basket. You know, get those putback dunks. Um, be an aggressive rebounder. Be an energy guy. You don't need to show everyone that you can do a step back three. Like those, that's gonna come. Like it'll be there in time. And I've loved to see those moments of him breaking down guys. And his handle looks tight. And you know, his step back three looks pretty good. The fact that he's shooting almost thirty four percent from three this year on an elevated amount of attempts, like, is just music to my ears. But I still want to see the old Scotty. I still want to see the energy Scotty. And again, if he's hurt, man, like if it's a foot injury, if it's an ankle, if it's a knee, he's had injuries on both legs. You know, I just want this man fully healthy because at the end of the day, as much as I love me a Siakam, as much as I love me an OG and an OB, they don't have the potential, at least from what he showed in his rookie season as a Scotty Barnes. So yeah, you know, he's going to take us to our, to our next championship, whether we like it or not, man. It's going to it's got to be Scotty or it's going to be, you know, a player to be named in the future out of the draft. So absolutely. And we want to see it from Scotty, right? Like, obviously, he's been left open a lot from three. Like, I think the, the combination of his regular scoring down and his three point shooting going up is kind of like the mean working together. Right. But he has been left open and every once in a while he knocks down a shot and I go. Okay, Scotty, like, that's the three-pointer I want to see. But again, it's a little too much. The step back's cool. We know you can kind of do it, but keep working on it. And then in five years, when people don't think you can do that, start knocking it down on people, right? Like, there's a mind game that you kind of got to play in the NBA right now. What's important to develop your game? What's not important to develop your game? And 
as long as you don't Ben Simmons it, right? As long as you come into the league and try to improve, you know, that that's what we're looking for for Scotty. So, you know, prayers up for the man. Hopefully we can see more positivity coming out of him the rest of the season. Yeah, man, absolutely. And, you know, we're playing the Nets. We're playing the Magic. We're playing the Celtics. And we're playing the Lakers. Scotty typically does have success against the Nets. So hopefully, you know, this game will then propel him into a great week where he can dominate the Magic dominate the Celtics on Monday and then dominate the Lakers. His first, you know, truly great NBA game was against those Boston Celtics. So, hey, man, uh, I would be so here for it. Mm-hmm. Now, the Nets tonight, though, what a what a game. Unfortunately for the Nets, they're not going to have the greatest shooter in the NBA right now in Utah, Watanabe. He's still out injured, but I've heard a rumor that Bubble Warren is coming back tonight. After almost Ooh. two years, TJ Warren is going to play an NBA game, so... Who knows, man? That could be the spark that the Nets need, and he could be the shooter, but hopefully Bro, not. Like, crazy rumor. The sparks that the Nets needed have already came. Kevin Durant has been playing on God mode. He has been unbelievable. Um, it might be his his second best season ever so far, um, 2014 notwithstanding. Um, he's just, like, that was his best season. Yeah. But this year, he's he's been phenomenal. The guy has been, like, since the firing of Steve Nash, has been otherworldly, has, has looked like the, the Kevin Durant that people say is the best player in the NBA, you know? Um, and I, I'm all here for him, man. If Kevin Durant's going to play like that, I, I'm all here for it, right? especially having him on my fantasy team, man. <laughs> he's leading the league in points scored this season. He's put up 38-6-6 six and six in his last four games on 60-45-90. The guy has been unreal. And you know what the crazy part? He's like 7th or 8th on the MVP ladder. Like, we are, wa- we are witnessing some pretty incredible moments this season from some fantastic players. And for Kevin Durant, arguably one of the greatest shooters in the history of the game, to be playing as well as he is and not even be in a top five MVP case, that's crazy to me. Well, I mean, like, Steph Curry, the greatest shooter of all time, is definitely ahead of him. You got (laughs) Luka Doncic, who, like, I don't care that they're, uh, like, 10th or whatever, or 9th. I don't care, man. He is otherworldly. He deserves to be in the MVP conversation. Then Jason Tatum doing what he's doing, and, and Giannis, like... Those are your top four right there. It's it's really hard to even get a sniff of the top five, especially when you got Denver top two seed in the West. You got you know Phoenix, so you got Jokic and Booker. Like it, it's a tough, tough race and out here. Shout but out it was to Booker here too. too, man. Shout out to Booker that fifty-one point performance in three quarters the other night. Like the guy is making his case for relevancy, which is important when you consider that Chris Paul is slowly aging out in that team. Yeah, I just. Devin Booker will never be that elite, elite guy for me. I just, I think that he's the type of superstar that hits that elite category, but is never like your number one in it. Uh, Paul George is a great example because he's starting to get to the back end of his career. He's still an elite guy, but he's always been, you know, in that you know, top tier elite. When you think about 15 players in the NBA, Paul George has always been in those 15 players, but he's always, you know, 15, 14, 13. He's never, you know, four. He's outside the top 10 usually. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and I, I get what that's you're how I see Booker. Booker will never be a top five guy. He'll never ever be a top five guy. He's which he's is looking at, he's still phenomenal. You know, he's like, looking at Damian Lillard esque type of of character, right? So it's it's an interesting situation. And the Suns are doing good. You know, they're fifteen and six. They're top of the West right now. So you can't really complain about them. But again, it's the West, right? Fifteen and six is only five games out of the playoffs. So. You know? Above the bottom. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> so we're, we're really interested to see where this season is going to go. There's so many storylines, so many players that are showing up, but with the Raptors specifically, we're just happy to see the injury woes maybe end. You know, I joke about the fact that OG's been the one healthy player on this team considering the past that we've dealt with, but we're hoping for more success from this Raptors squad in the weeks to come. One thing that I'm going to say about the Raptors before we can move on is um, I'm totally willing to tank this season and throw away Siakam for Shea Gilders Alexander. I mean, I'm just going to throw it out there as a Raptors fan. I think, you know, yes, we're trading away a guy like DeRozan who bleeds for the Toronto Raptors, but we're bringing in a Toronto native. So, like, hey, he he was born to bleed for the Raptors, right? We every, got this. Every week, there will be a shade plug from Matt trying to get him to the squad. Even though OKC's doing all, all right. You know, they're 9-13. They're relevant. They're, they're doing okay. Bruh, with Siakam, they'd be even more relevant. Give us Shea. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. What I wouldn't give to have a Shea on our team, he would fit perfectly. But until happens, We need right, Siakam and Fred Van Vliet. How about that? Oh, my gosh. Matt's crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm out here. OKC <laughs> should take that trade if you're OKC. But, I mean, who knows? They're, they're in a different timeline. Bro, but... give us Pukashevsky <laughs> and, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I'm in. Matt's just going to be I'm tweeting. Messiah. I'm on the just phone right now. Just going to be tweeting trades for Shea you know, all season long, constantly trying to make it happen. But, yeah, that's that's pretty much it for me and the Raptors this week. Nothing else that I need to add in. All right, cool, man. Let's look around the league, man, because there's still some some really good stories. You know, we've, we've talked about a few in, in Phoenix and in Dallas, but, you know, I think the craziest thing is that the Boston Celtics have been so good. You know, as a Raptors fan, it sucks that we have to talk about them because they are the best team in the NBA, but yeah. without Ime Udoka, they have been distraction-proof. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are definitely the best two players on a on a team tandem by far and jason tatum has really ascended into like full superstar top five category player and like the the thing the big thing for that as well as you know looking at that game against miami the other night there was a funny clip that i saw uh, early this morning where basically um you know tatum's at 49 points and i forget one of the guys goes in to screen him and is trying to get the ball and tatum's just like waves off he's like no, no, no. And he's like joking with Kyle Lowry and Kyle makes comment and, and Tatum looks at him and he's like, I already got a 50 this season, so I'm not I'm not worried. That's superstardom. Tatum has hit that point. He's comfortably knows what's up. And yeah, the Celtics are destroying the league, man. 18 and 4. They were 14 and 4 last week. You know, they're on that five-game win streak. It looks like it's gonna be a lot to stop this team right now. And with with Al Horford signing a $20 million extension, you know, getting two extra years is pretty great for a team that fell apart when he left only a few seasons ago. So Celtics fans, looks like your team is making the right decisions. And Joe Masula is on pace for coach of the year. Like you look at the Jazz and the Suns and what they've done in the past few years, Boston keeps it up. I can't see anybody else taking it away from him. Dude, they he's been great. They have been fantastic. The scariest part about them too is that their number one defense from last year hasn't even showed up yet. Yeah. They've been the best offensive team in the NBA, Ever. which is just 
the, yeah, the best offensive team potentially ever. They and they were one of the best defensive teams potentially ever last year, and they have the same personnel. So it's it's a scary thought, man. It's a really scary thought with the Boston Celtics. They probably should be the front runners at this point, but I'm still gonna give it to my boy in Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks because Chris Milton's coming back. Giannis is still, you know, that dude. He is still that number one player in the NBA. I don't care, you know, Luca, Tatum. Those guys are still that notch below. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens, man. But the Eastern Conference at the top is looking like the conference that's going to take it home. That Western Conference is wide open. Like, anybody could have that one. Absolutely. And, and like, you, there's there's people going against Giannis, and they're like, oh, Chris Middleton's going to come back. That's going to make things worse for him. You know, he's not even the best defender on his team. Brooke Lopez is right now. And I'm like, guys, if you take Giannis off of that team, Brooke isn't as impactful as he is. And Chris would have to come back and do way too much. Like, there's so many people that don't think about it. Giannis is such a stud. He's such a beast. He casually puts up 30 points any night that he wants because if he looks down the court, he realizes that at least five guys on the other team are probably smaller than him. It's pretty great, right? Like Unless Giannis he's playing is... Joel Embiid. That is it. That <laughs> he's is the right, only man in the NBA bigger than him. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, maybe maybe Carl Anthony Towns in the T-Wolves, but I mean, he's going to be out. He's going to be out for four to six weeks with, a, with an injury, and it looks like the T-Wolves might actually just be imploding. So... You might be right, man. The East is going to run through it this year. Yo, man, those T-Wolves, I'm so glad I never really got on board with them. <laughs> I'm so glad that I was like, okay, maybe begrudgingly I'll give them a, a 45-win, 50-win mm. total. Yeah, man. Dude, they're... it's so funny because like everything that they were talking about, why they would work so well, is the reason why they don't work at all all is because their deficiencies are too pronounced that the other one cannot make up for it and the other one is not good enough in those areas the other one is deficient to to make to make up for it it's just so bad you know carl anthony towns cannot spread the floor enough to save for gobert's offense and gobert's defense cannot save for carl anthony towns lack of defense and it is just hilarious to watch i'm I'm and, definitely loving it. And everybody praising, you know, Anthony Edwards going off, having a huge night with Cat Don. It's like, yeah, he's got more space. He can drive to the basket. There's less big mans on the floor. Of course he's going to have a sick night. Don't get excited about this, people. Like, it's it's chaos out in Minnesota right now. I, I feel bad for, for jumping on the train that I did because I've definitely – I left three stations ago. They're literally their best option at this point is to trade Rudy Colbert and get anything back for him. Like literally, give us Jared Vanderbilt back, please. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, well, give you Colbert back. Don't just Jared Vanderbilt. Just Jared, yeah. And I mean, the Jazz maybe they consider it. You know, they're thirteen and eleven now. They are relevant, but also. Yeah, they want to tank, but maybe they don't. Like, it's such an interesting time in the West. There's so many teams that are figuring it out, but also, like, not figuring it out. Like, it is a crapshoot in the Western Conference right now. Absolutely, man. It's it's a good time, though, to be an NBA fan. And, you know, Utah, we expected them to drop back down to earth. Laurie Markkinen can only play at this MVP level for so long. Um, again, he's a good player, and he might, you know, he might be an all-star, but he's not a an MVP. And, and this team is... 
is definitely looking for Victor Wembanyama. Let's see if their start, though, really kind of pulls them out of that sweepstakes because teams like the Spurs, teams like Houston, um, Orlando, Detroit, like those teams are gunning for Victor and have a pretty darn good shot at it. And if you're any tanking team, you're looking at this Boston Celtics team who had a war chest of assets that did some things with them, but kind of also didn't do anything with them and is now relevant with a good star team. So it's proven, you know, you can you can be not garbage, but not good for a few years. And if you pick right, you can end up with success. Bro, for years, people were panning Danny Age for not using any of the assets that he got in that Brooklyn trade to actually go out and get stars, yep. you know, and... Look what he did with the two third overall picks. He got J- Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Okay, maybe he didn't trade for stars, but he drafted two. So, right. hey. You got the right? best duo in the NBA right now through the draft. You know, that's 25 that's and 24 years old, man. These guys are going to be dominant for the next eight years like this, at least. You know, and so. They, they're locked up as a franchise. This is why we're praying as Raptors fans to be relevant, because if, you know, Boston's going to be this good, we hope that we at least are good enough to smack them down a couple of times. You know, that's at least my dream over here. That's what I'm going for. It, it It's almost annoying, because, like, it's almost like we almost want to be bad so that we can get, like, a Scotty Barnes compliment. But, hey, man, that's what we're hoping OG is. That's what we're, you know, Siakam already is. And hopefully, you know, Barnes just kind of develops into that lead dog eventually. That's that's the dream, right? But looking across the league, other conversations, you know, we could talk about Norm Powell, you know, ex-Raptor, had an amazing fourth quarter against the Blazers. Now, as Matt reminded me, it was the Blazers with nobody on it. You know, Anthony Simons doing great, but the man put up 22 points. Stud, but 20, I mean... 22 points to lead a comeback in the fourth quarter, Matt. Only took nine shots, put seven of them in, you know. I got to shout out our ex-Raptors when we get the opportunity. So, you know, shout Look, out Norm. I love Norm Powell, but like that is Norm's great game every what ten, every twenty. Like he's he's a good player, but he's not a needle mover. Them Clippers, man, they're actually doing pretty well considering no Kawhi. Um, It's pretty nice to see for them, but again, they're not a threat in the Western Conference. Nobody in the Western Conference, I feel, is like a real threat to the title, like to a Boston or to a a Milwaukee. it's whoever is going to get there, and then whoever you know gets there is going to have a chance, obviously, because they're there. Um, I feel like that was what happened with Golden State, right? Like nobody in the West was really that prolific last year besides Phoenix, and I think Phoenix beat up on a lot of bad teams in the Western Conference. I think the t- the conference was worse than we actually thought it was last mm-hmm. year. And then Golden State gets through. They're playing a Boston team that probably shouldn't have gotten through, who's a little bit too young, who's not been there, and they use their experience to win. It was yep. it was not because they were definitely the best team in the NBA last year. In fact, I would argue that there was three teams that were better than them in the NBA last year. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to be a similar case this year for the West and the East, and hopefully the East takes the home, man, because... Like the Raps, the Cavs, the 76ers, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Boston Celtics, the Brooklyn Nets. Like, that's six teams right there that all have like superstar quality players on them. Like, upper echelon, high tier quality. And like, the Pacers are one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference right now. So, Tyrese Halliburton, man, gotta shout that man out. (laughs) I mean, I'm a Pacers fan. I mentioned it a few weeks ago, but they're the most Canadian team in the NBA. They got five Canadian players. So, you know, I'm always rooting for the Pacers. But if I can take it back to the West for a second, because one team that we haven't really talked about or mentioned almost at all this season is the Nuggets. 
The Nuggets are quietly 14-7, and seven, sitting second in the Western Conference. Jokic is doing what he's doing. Jamal Murray has been playing great. Aaron Gordon has quietly been a great piece for this team. Like, the Nuggets might be here to stay, and as a, as a fan over here, I'm pretty amped for that squad. Man, no, they're definitely here to stay. Um, I think Michael Porter Jr. has been one of the best spot-up shooters this season. Yep. Aaron Gordon's been fantastic in transition and aggressive on the on the glass. Um, he's, again, you know, I think with the Draymond Green being the superstar that he is, quote-unquote, without actually having to have any superstar quality talent, is is allowing a lot of guys in this league to realize, hey, I can still get a bag. I can still be a part of a, of a legacy and a huge run if I just do the little things. And Aaron Gordon is doing the little things for this team. And if he can continue to do that all year with Nikola Jokic playing the way he is, with Jamal Murray, you know, finally starting to regain his final form from, you know, years past, and Michael Porter Jr. being, you know, just a dead-eye shooter, they've got a really good chance of coming out of this Western Conference, man. And Nikola Jokic, after back-to-back MVPs, might be able to shut down the not-a-winning player narrative like Giannis did after sure. his back-to-back MVPs. And I'd love to see it, man, because I, I think he takes way too much slack from you know some media pundits who don't actually watch a ton of Nuggets games and realize how important he is to mm-hmm. their winning. Yes, he's not the most imposing big man the NBA's ever seen. No, he is not, you know the the best athlete but man does that man know basketball and he knows how to get his players into the right situations to win and that's what you got that's what you want man that's what you want out of any player i i still find it hilarious of the way people treat Jokic when it's almost unanimously unanimously considered that if you could take anyone in the nba and put them beside steph curry and have the best fit it would be nicole Jokic. the two of them would destroy the league for example but yeah man nuggets nuggets look legit you know you're talking about aaron gordon i really like though because it kind of brings us full circle to when we were talking about the raptors and talking about how players are finding their roles like no longer are we in the nba where you need to put up 25 points a night to secure a bag to get money right there is way more ways to play this game and and there's 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 so many ways to be impactful and so if more players can do what aaron gordon's doing the talent level of the league raises because we don't have people breaking shots left and right we have good solid basketball being played and that's what i want as a fan so the shooters are going to shoot and you know the rebounders are going to rebound and that's what you need right defenders defend but hey, man, we'll see. We'll see what happens for the rest of the the NBA season. Um, I really feel bad for Luca because I feel like he's going to carry this team into the sixth seed and not going to get a sniff of the MVP conversation after being just an otherworldly player. Like this man's averaging thirty four nine and nine. Like, are we even like? I get James Harden averaged thirty six. Um, but he did not average nine and nine. Okay. He averaged like four and five. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure I watched a video the other day talking about like percentages and like historical significance of what Luke is doing and like the comparisons to like historically great players. It's all like big men. It's all guys who don't take the shots that he's taking guys like forcing their way into the paint the way that they do. So, you know, all credit for Luca playing the way that he's been playing. Considering the team is what, what are they? 10 and 11, 10 and 11. They're outside of the playoffs. Now don't freak out. Cause they were 14 and 16 last year before making their way to the Western conference finals run. But as I mentioned to Matt, you know, 
That was out of shape Luca. That was not playing great Luca. That was having, you know, Brunson with them playing that he's done. This is a scarier situation. They need to make a sure. move. They definitely need to make a move. Probably. It, it's tough to say, but you know, you know, Christian Wood, good player. He allows them to have the opportunity to have somebody else who can create their own shot, but he's not a number two. He's probably not a number three. Is he I number said four? It, I think he's a four. I think he's a four and Spencer Dinwiddie's a five. They've got a four and they've got a five. They need a two and they need a three. They need, like, all the Mavs fans and Lakers fans want OG Ananobi. What are you guys going to trade us for OG Ananobi? Like, who do you have to offer us? Dorian Finney-Smith? Kendrick Nunn? Russell Westbrook? Like, these aren't players that we're taking back. Reggie Bullock? Tim Hardaway Jr.? No, thank you. We'll keep OG Ananobi and right? you, can, you can talk to us next year. And yes, you can offer us picks all you want. You can say, look, we'll give you this pick. It can be as good as OG Ananobi. I'd be like, okay, but I could also just have OG Ananobi. Why do I need the potential pick, right? Like, it's it's chaos in the NBA. That's just how it is. Everyone's looking for a better way to make their team successful. And, you know, when you're at the bottom, you kind of got to scrape the barrel to try to get stuff from these succeeding teams. And the Raptors are not a team that has proven that you can fleece in the past. Bro, you can take Malachi Flynn. Sorry, uh, no, all good. Like that. <laughs> that's the classic Malachi situation. But I think that's pretty much good for this week, man. If there's anything else that you want to add in before we talk into predictions? Nah, man, I'm I'm good to go with the predictions. You know, I'm gonna jump off of the NBA this week. Um, I'm gonna go into the NFL. We've not been talking about the NFL, even though it's been a fire season. Fire. Um, it's a great lineup this week, but I'm gonna stay away from some of the some of the premier games. I'm gonna go with a couple upsets here. I'm gonna go the Jets over Minnesota. Okay. Um, I think Mike White is not gonna turn into a pumpkin. He's gonna beat the Minnesota Vikings, and we're gonna have this huge controversy over Zach Wilson. I think the Commanders are gonna beat the Giants because Tyler Heineke is actually competent as opposed to T or Carson Wentz, apparently. And I don't believe in Daniel Jones. I do believe in Saquon Barkley, but I don't believe in Daniel Jones. And then um, I'm going to take my Steelers over the Atlanta Falcons. I think, okay. uh, um, you know, the Steelers have been kind of on a little bit of a roll here. They've been getting it going. and They don't they don't have losing seasons under Mike Tomlin, so they need to get wins somewhere. And Atlanta is a, a good win for them. So mm -hmm. I, I got three predictions in there. Hopefully they all hit. Some solid choices. Oh, three week last week. You know, three predictions. Positivity. I will still stand by it. The Commanders have the worst name in the NFL for a team. Still disappointed in that decision over there. But yeah. you know, moving on. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a, a little something out there. So I'm looking at KD and I'm looking at this absolutely epic season that he's putting on, and he's going up against the Raptors tonight. And historically, you know, we're either gonna do really well against a player of KD's caliber or really poorly. So he's probably going to put up 30 points tonight, maybe six rebounds, eight assists kind of thing. But we're still getting the W. It won't be enough. I believe in the Raptors squad. Amen. Um, I'm hoping for it. I'm here for it because I want us to beat the Nets for sure. Love to start off a good good win for the week. It's always nice to get a W to start the week, my friend. But right. Anything else or shall we roll out? No, nah, man. I'm, I'm good. You're good. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thanks everybody for being here. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Board Sports. Like, subscribe, give us a thumbs up. And check out theboardsports.net for new episodes and blog posts. And we'll talk to you next time.